And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall, Gene Parenti, Ryan Barath, and Chris McCormick. The whole crew is here to bring you the latest gear news and big surprise. There's a lot going on in the golf world, including in the gear space. Before we get into it, got to do the check-in. Boys, how we doing? Doing good. Yeah, no complaints here. Just uh, just trying to trying to keep it cool in Arizona. Doing and well. And in Texas. Doing well. All right. Well, let's start with arguably the hottest topic in golf right now. Live golf, but more specifically, Brooks Kepka. So last week, if you listened to the podcast, Ryan and I were coming to you live from Boston, had a great time at the Barrymore. They're just a couple minutes away from the country club. And as we pointed out, Brooks Kepka was playing a tailor-made M5 driver and a Titleist found out it was a 2017 Pro V1X golf ball last week at the country club. And it set off a whole bunch of alarm alarm bells. I, I, I try not to be an alarmist, but it's in my nature to just see something like that and freak out. And thankfully, Shrixon was able to walk me off the ledge and they said, look, we, we gave Brooks the okay. He's, he's going to be playing the driver and the ball for right now, but we're working on future product. It's going to be coming out and that's what we're looking towards. We're not going to worry so much about trying to fit him into the current ZX driver and that Z-Star diamond golf ball. And, you know, I, I, I took him at their word. I did. But there was a part of me that wondered, man, Brooks was a little bit defensive during his press conference. Brooks is now playing a tailor-made driver. Brooks is now playing a titleist golf ball. And this is less than six months after his deal with Cleveland's trick sign uh, had been consummated. And lo and behold, <laughs> I was right. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Because he goes and he <laughs> he announces that he's going to leave for live. I mean, did any of you guys notice, and maybe it was just me, did, did any of you have that same feeling last week? Like, man. It, you know, there's a lot of guys defecting to live golf right now. And here's Brooks putting two pieces of gear that he used to win majors, non on gear in the bag. Maybe there's something else going on. It definitely was, uh, was that scenario of it begs the question. So I could, I could definitely see where that would blip on the radar and go, okay, what's going on here? Something is, something is not right. Yeah, it's. Well, I, I, mean, get, I, I guess. I guess the thing is, though, it begs a question: What's what's uh, Strixon going to do? I mean, you know, are they going to, you know? I, I mean, everybody's on the fence because, you know, the word I heard. So I was at Riviera this year, and that's when everybody was getting ready to jump. And I heard that you know there were fifteen out of the top twenty guys that were ready to jump to live. And then Mickelson came out, shot himself in the foot. And everybody backed off and said no. And then. You know, as we talked about earlier, I think the Charles Barkley quote sums it up that I'd kill a relative, even one I like for the kind of money that they're talking about. And the reality is they're offering that kind of money and you just can't turn it down at the end of the day because it's it's life changing. So the question now becomes, what do the OEMs do? Do they back off and go, no, we're not going to sponsor you anymore? I mean, they're in this netherworld and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because so far it looks like 
most of the outrage is coming from the media, but it's not necessarily coming from fans that, that I can see. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, from Brooks perspective, he's probably looking for something. He hasn't been playing great. Um, I don't know if there's like a direct Strixon like line to it, but I'm, I'm sure there was probably something there. And if you look back at the timeline, his U S open, his press conference was very unusual. And then you add in the fact that of all people, his brother joined first and, you know, it's like, I think it was probably set up as a package deal. I know there's, it's never been confirmed, but it's always rumored that, you know, when, if, if you take my brother, you get me for an event, they've, you know, kind of as far as sponsor exemption goes or doing the, I think the Zurich at one point in time, they played together. So, you know, he obviously there, there must've been some type of discussion going on from his perspective to want to actually like make that jump or knowing it was going to happen. But no, I think it was still a bit of a shock because of the fact that, you know, he, he was, he was adamant about not going, he said he was all about winning in major championships and, you know, I don't need money, but uh, no, maybe he does. Everyone, like I said, everyone's, everyone's got a number. And I think it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to see, but from an equipment perspective now, as Gene said, I think a lot of OEMs are in this hold hold pattern where they don't really know what's going on, right? This is not this is not F1. This is not where you have to race for your team or else you don't have a car. Like if they really want to, they can walk into a, you know, could go check out TruSpec, <laughs> right, Chris, and get some good golf clubs from you guys or go into like a PJ Superstore and buy some golf clubs if they really wanted to play with them, right? I mean, that's that's the end all. It's not like you can you can't just walk into a garage and get an F1 car, but you can walk into a golf store and get some golf clubs at work. So um, exactly. it's, if this is, it's, it's a very weird situation from the OEM side of things. And for Brooks, you know, he could go back to the, just being on his own with a, with a Nike bag or whoever is his own golf bag with the popcorn brand he owns or something like that, whatever it is. I do wonder, you guys bring up a lot of great points and they were all things that I was already ruminating on, but, I do wonder if the guy's going to live if they if they just decide to to not do gear deals in the future. Do they do they cut him short and just say thanks but no thanks? Do they just let the deal run its course? I, you know, I don't know, but I could see a lot of those guys just based on the money that they're getting just playing a mixed bag. Maybe they're all gear free agents in the future. I, I don't I don't know, but it certainly is going to, I think it's going to shake up golf, professional golf in a big way when it comes to who's, who's a gear free agent, who's not a gear free agent. You know, in the past, it was just a handful of guys and they were either the upper crust, the Brooks Kepkas and the Tommy Fleetwoods who stayed as a gear free agent because they could, they were making great money on the golf course and they still had some other deals in place, non-gear deals or you know, you know, then you've got the other guys that just couldn't, couldn't get a deal that was really worth it. They didn't want to tie themselves to one brand, but if you're making that kind of cash with live, you don't really need what, what the manufacturers are offering anymore and you can play what you want. And that's, I think we could, we could end up in a scenario where it was like the late nineties where, you know, I think most players were free agents. Like that was, that was kind of the weird thing. Everyone had a bad, like a local sponsor, for the bag and you know maybe they got a deal and some gloves and a hat or whatever it was but 
back in the days, like there was, there was not a lot of money being thrown around for OEMs. It was just, it wasn't the case. Green grass dominated and it wasn't about big, big marketing. It was about kind of more of the grassroots, you know, green, green grass being like pro shops and not big box stores. So we could be back to that that era for a lot of these players. And it'll be interesting to see you know, where they go from there and, and what brands really stand out. Uh, have you guys seen the, the tour van that's going to be kind of servicing the live guys out I'm there? Glad you brought this up. Uh, I was just going to uh, say, is it pimpy? No, it's uh it's a guy that uh, he's a sole proprietor. He used to work for Nike and kind of, outfitted his own deal but he's brand agnostic and more just kind of a, a club tech rather than a tour rep so he he takes care of the player doesn't necessarily have a, a preference on product and i mean it's kind of like the old school tour trailer that's a lack of a better description kind of a, a modified horse trailer that has you know some some work benches and some law fly machines and a, a grinding station and just uh, a series of cabinets and drawers with uh, various OEMs in it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, ben, Ben, John uh, from the, the tour van that was reported uh, to earlier today. And you now having, I've had, I've worked in the brand agnostic club space in the past and, you know, talking to him, he's a knowledgeable guy who worked with Nike like before. So, you know, it's going to be curious to see where, where it goes from there. If this is like going to be a full-time thing, if it's just for Portland, because I know that he's, he's uh, stationed out there in the summertime because he does have the van that is portable. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that continues on or if they're going to kind of contract as they move around the country and move around continents. But uh, I did see that. So again, yeah, I think it's a good point. Brand agnostic for a lot of these players are just looking to get work done on their gear. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm curious to see the the set compositions that come out of this as a as the tour progresses a little bit and they start, you know, playing in different environments and different parts of the world. And you know, do they stick with the same setup? Do we all of a sudden start to see you know, a lot of different gear show up in these bags and you know maybe even some older product that these guys are going back to their garage and going, you know what, I really loved insert club name here. And that all of a sudden becomes the, the go-to gamer for that player, even though it might be two, three, four, five plus years old. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I go back though, except for the guys, you know, making 200, 100 million and everything like that. If someone's dangling three or $4 million, it still matters. It's still real money, you know? And um, if, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's all about moving the needle. And if these guys move the needle and if they generate publicity and they generate interest, the OEMs are going to offer them contracts. It's just that simple. And my guess is they're probably going to take those contracts because you're not going to turn down three or $4 million and to be catered to your every whim to get everything specifically right. But then, you know, if you're at 200 million, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you take a flyer, you know, if you're Brooks, and you were willing to do it when you were, you know, only making X, you know, on the tour. He's kind of the wild card. I could see him just going, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to worry about equipment ever again. I'm just going to go with what works and uh, and stick with that. So you just need a club guy that can help tweak your gear if you need to make any adjustments. And I think that's. That's the big question is even if you had, say, a guy out on, on the live who was under contract, 
I mean, are you going to have a dedicated rep for that one guy? Do you rely on a brand agnostic van to help your guy out during the week? Do you work on their gear on an off week? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think this is such an interesting topic, a side topic to all the live talk that's going on right now. But yeah, I, I think I think Liv has the potential to change a lot of things on the gear side. Well, I mean, I'll yep. follow it up with this. If they're willing to offer $200 million to someone, I think they can afford a tour truck with, you know, the latest tour truck and to poach the, you know, the, the I best I guy. I don't know, man. That, that, this tour is going to be moving around a whole bunch. It, that would be tough. A to, whole bunch, yeah. To, yeah, to but you're talking, you're talking, you're talking, you know, but – when maybe a rep, money maybe solves, you have a dedicated rep. money money solves a lot of problems i guess that's what i'm saying and, and if the players yeah, all these, are like, all these guys hey, are shrewd businessmen at the, at the manufacturers i mean they're not gonna they're not just gonna i mean unless it was a big name and i don't even really know it's it's interesting i i, I don't even know if there's a big enough name in golf right now that would I mean, tiger woods probably the only guy that I could see they would have like a dedicated rep out there for, for him. I don't know. I, I can't think of anybody else that would, that would get that kind of treatment. We'll see. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it shakes out. And I mean, we might be in a position logistically, it doesn't make sense to have designated tour reps or uh, a truck or multiple trucks or, you know, any kind of structured organization that fulfills the the needs of the players on this tour yet. But I mean, two, three plus years down the road, we may have another series of OEM trucks out there traveling around with this tour, especially if they make more domestic stops. We'll go back to fully equip in a moment. Before we do, I want to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Pride and their new CPX grip. You've heard me talk about CPX before in the Exo Diamond Quilted pattern that can be found on the outside of the grip. If you've ever done BMX biking before, you know that this type of uh, material is going to help reduce vibrations that are going to be going up and down your arms. It's great if you're an older golfer, maybe somebody who's playing a whole bunch of golf. You know how those vibrations can actually harm your game, can add a little bit of extra fatigue, make you tired after 18 instead of allowing you to maybe get in 27 or 36 holes. If you want to go and try out the CPX script for yourself and that Exo Diamond Quilted Pattern, head on over to golfpride.com or check out your local retailer. With that, let's get back to the episode. So a couple of things from last week at the US Open that caught my eye that I wanted to bring up. Matt Fitzpatrick, your winner, had a couple of pieces of gear in the bag that I I was I guess one of them I was surprised to see because I didn't realize that he was still using the Ping S55 irons. I mean, those those are some great irons. Ping Ping's made a bunch of irons that have gone on beyond S55 that have filled that role, but man. Yep. Bubba still loves S55. Fitzpatrick S55. I've seen I've seen him in the bags of a few other guys. That's one of those irons that some players just can't quit. The other that caught my eye was the Betnardi BB1, the flow neck putter that Fitzpatrick used. From the back, it looks like a, a traditional Betnardi, but on the front, that's a very familiar pattern 
on that putter face. Yes, it yes. is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. A lot of people were noticing that it's, it's the OG face pattern that was on the yes putter and Fitzpatrick used the yes for a while until he signed a, a putter deal with, with Bettinardi, but yes is no longer in business. So you got to pillage the, you got to pillage the guys that are no longer there and, and find the best technology. And Hey, that's a pretty good one to, to pull out of the hat. There's a, I know the story behind it's actually very interesting. I had the chance to talk to Sam about it when it first kind of showed up on tour. And there was a lot of talk about at, at one point in time, he was on eBay buying up used like versions of this putter, hopefully in good shape because he just liked that idea. I know someone who works at a different company now that used to work for yes. He built some prototypes for, for Matt with the same design he has a small putter company and you know he's like do you want one of these things i I have to order like a minimum from my manufacturer so he like he sent one my way and so i got to sit kicking around somewhere um but what basically what happened was is from 10 years i guess this uh the ip on the on the grooved face the patent wasn't updated or it wasn't um like turned forward again so like basically you could come in if you want to use their ip you could and so or wasn't it wasn't renewed that's the word i was so because the patent wasn't renewed, they, you know, they worked very hard with Matt to take his putter and basically essentially recreate it, but do it in like a milled, in a milled format. Whereas, you know, a lot of those old yes putters were cast, maybe the faces were milled or fly milled or anything like that, but to be able to replicate it with such precision, I think that's one of the really cool things that Ben already has to offer is, is just their in-house manufacturing and, you know, not to you know, pump Ben tires here, but they make, I mean, obviously they make great putters, but they've also, they continue to bring more things in house. Like they just started doing their own head covers again <laughs> or for the first time, like, you know, they, they, they want to control the process from start to finish. And for Matt being one of their main players, I think it's pretty cool that, you know, he went to them. This is what I want. This is what I like. And rather than pushing him into something else, he, they built something for him. And I think that's a, from a putter manufacturing side of things, I think that's pretty cool. And you know, we've seen ping do that with the PLD series as well. Scotty does it for some of their players. So I mean, all these putter manufacturers do it. I just think for them to recreate something that he loved, which is very specific, is uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, it's for those that don't know the the face technology on those yes putters. It was called the C groove, and yeah, it's I've I've putted with yes putters before, and that C groove is is a great great piece of technology. It was always a true roll, and of course, it was always a true roll, and yet I don't have the putter in the bag anymore. <laughs> it's funny how that works out exactly funny how that works out the other story that i found to be quite interesting was rory mcelroy you know we talk about guys during a major week even just a regular tour week not uncommon for them to have you know three or four i know cam smith will sometimes carry upwards of four lob wedges with him with different grinds just to have something for every course setup on tour and Rory McIlroy does the same thing with the three wood. Now we don't like three woods on this podcast, so maybe I should just couch this topic, but since it is with Rory, we should probably discuss it. So Rory, uh, I talked to him actually last week when I was at the US Open and he was talking to me about how he 
he had switched three woods midway through the RBC Canadian Open. So he has a tailor-made sim tie. He also has a stealth. And he ends up going with the sim tie to begin the week. He finishes with stealth. And the main reason was the sim tie for him. Now, this is a problem that only Rory McIlroy has, but that's like a 300-plus yard carry golf club for him. So, he, I mean, he basically called it a, a two-wood. And it's, you know, 13 degrees, spinning at about 2,700 is what he said. Um, the stealth is going to spin probably around 3,100 on the draw and, and 3,600 on a fade. And touch more spin, a little bit less distance, which you'd expect. And so Rory's got two three-woods in the bag. I don't know anybody else on tour. I'm sure there's somebody else out there that does it, but I don't know anybody else that changes out their three-wood based on the course setup. But there you go, Rory McIlroy. Two three-woods, one that's his bomber to go with his driver, and then one that gives him a little bit of a better gapping. But I mean, yeah. I think that I think that makes – that actually – makes such strategic sense to me because the three wood has you know it's that weird club where on par fives if you want to get home in two you don't want the ball running through the green you want that to land and drop and that's a spinnier three wood but if you need to hit a if you need to hit a fairway on a tight par four that's you know 390 yards long and you don't want to bring your driver out then you want the one that's a little bit longer i mean i think it makes sense strategically especially for a player like that who you know he he can make up strokes on the field if he gets home in two and if he if he places his shot right you know he's got a he's got an eagle putt so I could see the justification for having room in the bag for both. I mean, especially if they both have a definitive purpose and they provide a different launch window, different control characteristics. And I mean, the utilization of those clubs have a a specific job. And to Gene's point, if it makes sense for the player and it shows him enough of a difference, you know, so what if it's two, three woods, two, five woods, you know, two drivers in Phil's case, as each one has a specific job and he knows what it is that they're going to do and when to apply those clubs in the appropriate situation. Well, and it, and it shows how distance is king still. Right. And, and, you know, and a lot of these guys that really kind of, you know, make hay with, with distance do so on the par fives and you want a different club in your hand you don't want that bomber three wood. You need a, you need a club that's going to hold up that you know you've got your distance, whether it be 290, 300, whatever it is, it's going to land on a dime when you hit it well. 100%. So would you, would you recommend a regular golfer who's awful with the driver going with two three woods? Nope. No, no. I mean, they just don't have the control. I mean, you know, we talked about that. And we've done those tests that, that show, um, you know, especially with slower swinging players, the three wood actually goes further than the driver. And the main reason is it's a lock function for them. And it's also a shorter club. It allows contact. So, I mean, there's so many attributes there. I, I mean, this is a tour level, you know, conversation, not a, not an average amateur level because, you know, 
trust me, as we've said, they're they're better off focusing on their wedges and getting gaps in their wedges. They're not, you know, they're not driving par fives and two very often. Now we've we've kind of talked about that setting up the bag for you know, scoring potential versus proximity potential, and you know, two three woods in the bag are two proximity clubs. I mean, how many of those do you need for the average amateur player? There's no way in hell I would have two three woods in the bag. I play to a single digit handicap and I struggle enough with one three wood. I don't need to add another one in the bag. <laughs> you could just be like me and not have any three woods. Now, nah, there you go. Solve your problem right there. Before we continue, I want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Rapsodo and the Rapsodo MLM that allows you to get all the metrics you want for your golf game. Distance, ball speed, club speed, and launch angle, just to name a few. But where the MLM really shines is in the data visualization it can now provide. The Shot Tracer feature gives you the video of your swing plus a precise visualization of your ball flight and shot shape. The new Shot Dispersion feature has a visual overlay of every shot you hit on the range, color-coded for each club with pinpoint accuracy and distance. You can optimize your club gapping, dial in your wedges, and really fine-tune your drivers and fairway woods. The MLM also gives you some really cool charts and graphs that can help you practice smarter, not longer, to really maximize your time and help you get the most out of your range sessions. Use it indoors, use it outdoors. It's extremely portable. You can build custom practice plans based on your strengths and weaknesses. If you want to learn more about Rapsodo's MLM, go check it out on rapsodo.com backslash fully equipped to get $100 off your first purchase. Again, that's rapsodo.com backslash fully equipped F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D for $100 off your MLM. Now let's get back to it. Speaking of fairway woods, RB was at the Travelers Championship and he was there for, he was there for the Titleist launch and that's what I want to start off with. But you know what? Why not? You also spotted a piece of gear that I don't think anybody else noticed. Eagle-eyed RB noticing Mizuno with, with some sort of a new fairway wood. What's going on there? Yeah. Um, you know, some people will joke that I'm a, I'm a Mizuno homer cause I've known those guys for a long time and, you know, just a big fan of their gear anyways. But, um, you know, I was, it was my first event out with a lot of the trucks actually there. The U S open was very busy. I didn't want to bug a lot of play, like a lot of people during major week. So I was introducing myself to the travelers is very close to the range and was just, popping in and out, saying hi, checking out the new gear. We saw the, the Jaws raw wedges. We saw the, the TSR drivers, Barry Woods, all those, uh, all those new products. We got to sit in and kind of watch a lot of the, the fitting take place as well on the driving range, which was really cool seeing players get introduced. But I was, I was walking by them at the Mizuno van and I saw Kyle and Jeff and they were in there and, and Keith was just getting some lies and lofts done. Keith Mitchell, that's who I'm talking about. And you know, there was something sitting on, sitting on the bench kind of over there and there's down, you couldn't really see it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I recognize golf clubs fairly well. <laughs> so like, that's probably something different. And, you know, a lot, you know, for us, it's not the, the vans are a sacred place for, for gear. So we don't, we always ask for permission to take any photographs in a van. And because of that, there was no pictures being taken. I couldn't get anything close up, but you know, if it's on the range, have at it. And so Keith is out there. He, yeah, Keith was out there hitting some shots and, and they were going through testing compared to his, uh, his current three wood. And we caught whatever, I don't know what, what it's called, but it, uh, it looks fairly close to a production model. It has, it has logoing, it has colors on it. Um, 
a lot of people have already pointed out on social media and I, I've already posted some comparison pictures on my Instagram of some other fairways that like with the sole plate on it. So it is, it looks to be multi-metal, multi-material, whether that's titanium and, or, or steel and tungsten, whatever it happens to be, or some carbon composite, maybe a combination of all three. It's uh, it's got a heavy sole plate, a body, and it, it is, it's, it's pretty small. It looks kind of like the GT 190, which is the blue one that had the slot and the adjustable weight on the sole was not a big seller in the consumer market. It was not a forgiving fairy wood. Uh, but as, uh, as my friend, uh, Johnny wonder used to say, and I always like, uh, like his reference, he goes, man, you could launch some piss missiles with that thing. It, uh, it goes like stinks. <laughs> so, uh, I, that's what Keith was doing. He was out there. He was getting a lot of distance for like pretty low spin with it. And I think, you know, as we've talked about already, like there's a bomber three wood and there's like kind of the workability three wood and they were kind of talking their way through it. And that, that was what I caught. But then the other clubs, that was the Mizuno stuff. And then out on the range as well, we saw the, the new jaws raw. Uh, Kisner had some of those in the bag already. There was a number of, of products out there. And Jonathan, you wrote a piece talking about kind of their launch on tour uh, for the website. Yep. And uh, they look great. They, they've got a little bit of a straighter leading edge. I think a lot of players really like the thing with raw is from a consumer level. And I you know like us, I, when I say us, I'm, I'm, and hopefully I'm not speaking for everybody here. Maybe I am, but I think a lot of people like raw wedges, better players generally tend to like raw wedges because it kind of matches what they see on tour. Oh, Gene Gene. Shaking his finger. no, Gene not, not a fan. Eh? Gene's well, a it's, guy. it's, 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 it's cause it's, have we aired that especially yet? Can I talk about that or, uh, is that a uh, video aired? Oh, maybe we All got right, something in the wings. No, run it, with it. It, it hasn't, but we, but we already, we already started alluding to what the results were from that test. All right, so you, we'll, you can, we'll you can, allude, you can, you can mention we'll, it on the we'll, podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll allude a little bit more. It is. Uh, they look cool, but you'll just have to wait to see what the performance difference is between them. Oh, what a tease. Oh, what a tease. <laughs> so, so with that, um, you know, it, it, for the consumer level, like, again, I, a lot of people, like, I've worked golf retail a long time. And so, um, you know, people see a rusted golf club on a, on a retail shelf and they don't want it. Right. It's like, you, you're not going to buy a dirty car in a car lot. If it's, if you're looking for a new car. So, because of that, it's kind of hard to like have that combination. But if you're able to sell a, a red a wedge that has a raw face that doesn't give you the glare that you get from chrome or some other finish, but it doesn't rust on the whole thing, it's very different from a consumer level. Plus, you know, for, for players, they get the look that they they prefer, and it really is does come down to looks. It's not really a performance thing, um, as far as I've ever seen from testing. And then, last but not least, as I said, we saw that the TSR. Fairywood or Fairywoods and drivers. So there's a, we saw TSR four, three, and two biggest difference. I thought the coolest club, it's the one that I immediately gravitated towards because I'm already a user of the TSI three was the four, because unlike the previous model that only had a weight in the front, this has a weight in the front and back, which should help with controlling spin, either get dialing it up a little bit, even though it's still a low spin model or, you know, completely dialing it way, way down. That to me is, is one of the coolest things. And if you look at the back, you know, I, I use car references all the time because there's a lot of aerodynamics and, and other things brought into this. But if you look at the back of the driver, there's like a little diffuser on the back of the crown. So they've got a bit, they've definitely got an aerodynamic story. You can see that just from the looks. It's a very sleek looking product. And from the Fairy Woods, there's a TSI 2, TSI 3, and then a TSI 2 Plus, which is uh, reminiscent of the 
the 915FD, which is a slightly larger head, not overly big, but it only comes in a strong three-wood option. So those are all things that are out on tour and, and players are going to be slowly working their way into those, which I think is going to be fun to watch. So, so Ryan, I have a question for you. Do you know, um, is Titleist going to kind of keep the same, uh, how best to ask this question, kind of design parameters? So if you own a TSI-2 now, your TSR-2 is going to have similar performance characteristics versus a 3 or 4, or they completely reimagined um, each, each model? Very much into the same performance categories. Uh, I think the okay. only the only difference was the big one now is the four being able to maybe get the spin a little bit higher for those players that want something that maybe looks a little smaller but doesn't uh, doesn't have the, doesn't get crazy crazy low spin like the four you know if you hit one of those high on the face on the four you might get you know one of those little knucklers but for them it it increases MOI and but again to to answer your question I think they all fit into the same category it's it all comes down to branding right for the for the consumer because the average consumer is not buying a new driver every year. We, we, are, we know that or every two years. So if you had a, a 909D2 or a 910D2 and you're starting to look at something now, you're going to go, oh, if there's, a, there's a two model. That's prob- I'm probably into the two model. So it's a good place to start for those looking at it, which I think from Tyler's perspective, from a consumer perspective, is, is really smart. I, I, I can't remember the last launch. Did the TSI one come out later or did that come out with the same family? I thought it came out the later. One and the four some... came out later. Yeah, yeah TSI yeah. one and four was the, the latest release. Right. So it's kind of interesting. It sounds like they're kind of following the same model. They're going to see it with the tour, get acceptance, and then try to, you know, bring along the game improvement amateur model later. So, yeah, this is. An interesting launch for me because, you know, typically whenever a new product comes out, everybody's going, well, it's got to be, it's got to be faster. It's got to be better than the last product. But the jump from TS to TSI, especially with the addition of that, that ATI 425 face, I mean, that was a brand new material addition to the titles drivers. And it took them from, I mean, I'll, I've said it on the podcast before, so I don't mind saying it again. You know, Titleist drivers before TSI had historically been known in in probably the last ten years. They were they were spinnier and they were slower than a lot of the other drivers in the marketplace. And oh, hand, so, hands down. Yeah, and hands down. and then all of a sudden TSI comes along, and it's now one of the hottest drivers in the marketplace. And I think some people, when I started pointing out that TSI was the number one driver on tour and that doesn't, you know, okay. Titles has a bunch of guys playing their products, you know, big, big whoop, but they actually had a lot of guys that were not contract players, those free agents that were playing the titles drivers. And those are the ones I have always said, if you want to know what's successful and what's doing well on tour, look at what the guys that aren't under contract, look at what they're playing week in, week out. And sure enough, TSI has been for, I mean, pretty much since it came out, it's it's been the number one driver out on tour. It, it has consistently, week in, week out, had a very large market share out on the PGA Tour. And now, <laughs> now you got to wonder. I mean, how do you how do you go from really fast with that ATI face? Like, what are you going to do to make the next jump? I 
we haven't hit it yet. Ryan's, this is the first week it's been out on tour is the first time we're seeing it, but I, I am really curious to hear what the tour pros have to say about the initial testing. Did you talk to any guys when you were out there, RB, as far was, as, as what their feedback was, early feedback, initial? I played fly on the wall. Okay. Uh, so, because so, their Titleist had a lot of people from their team out there working hard with the players. Uh, I watched uh, Brian Harmon, who was uh, going through, uh, he was high 160s. They were talking about the spin on it. It was really good. Uh, they had Charlie Hoffman out there testing it. They had, um, just again, a bunch of play. I know JT was talking his way through some of the stuff out there. Uh, Spieth was there as well. Uh, shout out to Greller. He's just full alpha move. What he did was he grabbed, you know, Travelers is their logos are the red umbrella. He grabbed one of the umbrella bases and brought it right over to Jordan Spag so he could stand in the shade, which I thought was just like, like he's the only guy that just, just decided to do that. I thought it was a kind of a fun thing to to go through. But uh, everyone loved it. There was a lot of players that especially uh, Lanto Griffin was someone that was very interesting. Like I know he grabbed a couple of the fairy wisdoms. Like I really like this. And uh, the feedback from Titleist was there's always some players who will, they'll grab it. They'll just put it in play. And they're like, this is great. And it's, it's always interesting to, to see who those players are. Um, but you know, I think we're going to see a lot of transition into the fairy woods uh, quite quickly. And I think for a lot of players, the drivers as well, I think the three wood, people are always worried about, you know, we just talked about earlier already you know, this big three year conversation is you never want the ferry that goes too, too long. So that to me was like a dialing in thing, but you no, know, to your point, as far as popularity is concerned, the TSI, Matt Fitzpatrick, uncontracted player with titles. No, the only player who can claim that they have clubs in Matt Fitzpatrick bags is Betnari because he's under contract, but no one else can say that we can, <laughs> we can point out what's there. And then before that you had Billy Horschel, Billy Horschel using Titleist irons, not under contract. And then he's got a Titleist driver as well. So um, it's going to be cool to see how this works kind of going forward into the, you know, majors, Scottish Open, what's coming up now, because even though it's towards the end of the year, these guys are in mid form. If they give them a golf club that's working well, they're, they're going to stick it in the bag. And that's going to be fun to see. Before we get to the next topic, I want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by Global Golf and their All About You campaign. You've heard us talk about All About You before. It is a three-pronged approach. It's the You Try, You Trade In, and You Select programs. The You Try lets you try brand new clubs and tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want. Love it? Keep it. If not, send it back. The You Trade In program provides the easiest way to help you get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear, where you receive credit towards a new purchase. And then there's the You Select program that allows you to personalize recommendations directly from PGA professionals to help you find the best gear for your game. If you want to learn more about Global Golf's All About You campaign, go check it out on globalgolf.com. Let's get back to it. All right, before we tie a pretty bow on the TSR talk, you mentioned something interesting, RB, about the TSR4, which is the historically been the lower spinning product in the lineup. It, it has the smaller head profile. It's designed for the tour pros for the most part, better players that have that speed. But as you mentioned, maybe they add a bit more spin. What do you think? Is this a driver that we might see get more usage? Maybe out on tour? Do we see more usage from it at retail if it's a little bit higher spinning than the previous product? I think so. Uh, one of the things that the title has said, and you know, this, this comes back to their golf ball as well, is they take a lot of feedback from consumers and fitters, right? There's only, you know, let's say 50 guys on tour, right? Who are using 
various versions of their products, right? Like there are hundreds and thousands of golfers that get fit by Titleist fitters and and they get feedback from all these players. And I guess one of the things was people really liked to look at the D4, but they thought it was a little too low spin. So they wanted to keep it low spin, but make it, give it the option of just increasing it just that little bit. And that is again, just to fit more people, not just for I, but also for optimization, which is what everyone's looking for when it comes to distance. And when you look at the four quote unquote model from Titleist, even going back all the way to the 907 D4, which was a tour only little offering, they, which was extremely small. It wasn't very forgiving. They've always kind of worked their way into this product. And, you know, it's just, it's another evolution of that lower spinning, smaller option. We've, we've seen drivers get really big and some people like them for a while and they kind of want something a little smaller, right? Consumer, consumer choice is always an interesting one. But this is a driver that I think is going to really, in a way, fit and look a little bit more like a, a D3 or a, a, T, a TSI 3 or a 3 model. It's going to fit like that, but it's going to look like the low spin one, which I think a lot of players are going to join. Who wouldn't want to use a, a slightly smaller driver that's still offered almost the same forgiveness, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, and again, I, I think the big question here is very similar lineup, but what kind of speed are we going to see? What kind of increases? Uh, I think when you have a face change like that, it's got to go with, you got to go with aerodynamics. There's only so much you can do with, with improving that ATI face. And I think, I think they've got it exactly where they want it. Tour pros have been raving about it. So we'll see how the new one does first week out. We'll have a report on the number of drivers that go into play. They had Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth in the field, so there was a chance to get two of the big names in the driver. I know JT pulled out with a uh, a back issue, but maybe we see Spieth get into the new driver. Jordan Spieth's always been one of those guys. He's a great litmus test for new product because he's always difficult on the driver. We've seen him switch to new products really quickly. We've seen him take a really long time on driver products before. What happens with this one? You know, we finally saw him get into the the TSI product, and and now, I don't know, maybe he goes right into the TSR product. So we'll see how that goes. And again, we'll be recapping all that on next week's pod. Okay, one other thing that I did want to bring up as you were touching on the Mizuno Ferrywood, the timing of it to me seems a bit curious because what what major is coming up? You mentioned that this one might be a low spin product. Open Championship. What What do you guys think? Do you, I mean, Mizuno typically releases some new product. They tease new product around the Open Championship. That's something they've historically done. Do you think that we see or or get a little bit more info on this on this club at St Andrews? I would hope so. I mean, if it's a low spin product, potentially good timing on their part. If there's been some some innovation and some design tweaks with some of their tour staff, I mean, maybe the launch of it is in anticipation of a, a particular need by some of their marquee guys. I mean, you don't see a ton of players out there that consistently go with the Mizuno woods. So I'd, I'd be curious to see who immediately puts this in the bag and at what time period it goes in. Yeah. They've always had that, uh, the open championship people they've done, they did the copper irons in the past there. They've done the JPX models. They've done the, the, the MP models as well. So there's always something interesting that kind of comes out around that time because I know, I know I'm fairly close to the people that are, that do the, the band over in Europe there. And uh, you know, it's always kind of like a fun time for them because 
you know, they, people see the smaller van here in, in the United States on tour, their van they have in the UK is like two to three times bigger just because of the representation over there in Europe. So I think it's a, it's an interesting one to watch because if the wind gets up, people, I, I'm, you know, I think we're also, we're probably in, I have no idea. Like, you know, I love the spec, I love playing the speculation game when it comes to this stuff, but we're probably due for some, some driving irons or some, uh, like some small low spin hybrids over the next couple of weeks. Like maybe we won't see them necessarily in retail right now, but probably for the tour players, we're probably going to see a couple of those things coming out from various OEMs because what OEM would not want to be able to have their player wearing their hat, winning the 150th open championship. And if they can have one club that helps with that, just think of what it did for uh, Todd Hamilton and Sonic tech. I know that that story didn't really end too well for Sonic tech, but they sold a heck of a lot of hybrids when, when he won that, that tournament. So if there's one thing that yes, stands out, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if there's one thing that stands out. I mean, that, that, that could be a, a big potential that we could see, not just from Mizuno, but from a lot of other OEMs. We are due for some piss missiles at St. Andrews. <laughs> piss missiles at St. Andrews. Never thought those two things would go together, but here we are. Um, here we are. As as far as the Jaws Raw, I got to say, I saw this wedge right after it came out at the Byron Nelson. Xander Schauffele had a 52 degree in the bag that week. And just knowing how Callaway does their cadence on wedges, I actually thought it was like a specialty wedge. I, so I was a little bit surprised when they came out and announced that this is their this is their new line of wedges. Jaws raw. This is this is it. They've got two finishes. You've got a a chrome and you've got a black finish that they're calling. I think it's it's raw black plasma is the name of it. But it it's an interesting wedge design from them because it's not fully raw. I think people will see the raw name and they would automatically assume, oh, just another raw wedge. But this wedge is really cool because it has, at least on the chrome version, it has a plated head. And the only thing that's actually raw is the face. But it's not just like they slapped a raw face on it and called it good or just did raw grooves. They spoke to the tour pros and, and asked them, hey, what do you want? Do you want just raw grooves? Do you want the rest of the, the wedge to be plated? And for those that aren't aware, the differences between a plated wedge and a raw wedge is raw, once it once it starts to oxidize, is going to take on a patina finish. It's going to rust. It's going to look old. And then you've got your plated wedges, which are designed to retain that, that silver finish. So there are some differences there between the two wedges. But with Callaway, they decided to make the grooves raw, but then also the toe pad. And one of the reasons why they did that, it wasn't just like, eh, we're just going to make it raw because it's cheaper. They talked to the tour guys, and they found out that when that wedge is flayed open, it helps that having a little bit more of a muted finish on that toe pad is going to help reduce the glare. And again, that's something that tour pros are going to notice, but I think it's something that, that the average golfer is going to benefit from as well. But yeah, those those are the kind of the big changes. The other one that I do want to point out is in the sand wedge and the lob wedge, they're using tungsten in those weight ports. That's something that they've never done before in their uh, in their wedges in the sand or the lob. And the genesis behind that design is by putting two slugs of tungsten in the lob wedge, you're shifting more weight off of the hosel 
and trying to center it up a bit more. With the sand wedge, you really don't need that much weight to do something like that. So it's just one slug of tung tungsten in that weight port. Um, other like subtle things, I've actually had a chance to see the wedges in hand that I really like. They straightened out that leading edge, which I think is something I, I posted photos on social media. And that was one of the things that a lot of golfers were raving about was like, man, that's such a, such a just straight leading edge. And the other like subtle change was on the hosel kind of leading into the leading edge. They straightened that out a bit more too. So the hosel visually looks straighter. Um, I, I think it's all changes that are, that are kind of tour focused, but it's all stuff so far that seems to be really positive when it comes to, to what we're hearing from the average golfers who have just, who are getting to see this product for the first time. Yeah. I, I know the, uh, the, the feedback is always interesting. Cause I find that for a lot of players, you know, I, I like a straight leading edge in a wedge. I know a lot of like, I would say more better players do, but the evolution of Callaway wedges is they always, they, they continuously get better from an aesthetics perspective in the address position. Like some of the original ones were very rounded. They were a little bigger. And I think it was probably a lot of Roger Cleveland's original influence coming, coming from you know, some of his original designs. Those that like that just, it is what it is, right? Like that, that is the influence because he's the guy making them. But as tour players, preferences change and as they grow up with different products, like that's where I always find it very interesting is how those, how those products evolve. Because again, the straight leading edge, I would say, as turf conditions get better, as, as especially on tour and just in general at golf courses, the player preference and the player need is always adjusting. And, and that's where with the, uh, even on the, to the consumer level, not just on tour, but there is the, the new X, the, they modified the X grind again because of player feedback. And you know, all of this stuff comes to the, the end result of you know, offering something that is better for the, the players that want it on the, on the tour level but also for consumers because there is that downflow effective information that is going to help them with their gear. Yeah, it's, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think Callaway, and not to say that other manufacturers don't do this, but I think Callaway's really listened to the consumer when it's come to their wedges. Each each year it feels like the the wedge sort of has at least a couple of of attributes that were things that I've heard from from recreational golfers that they wanted to see on a Callaway wedge, and one of them that I had always heard was like, "Man, they've just had a straighter leading edge." You know that that's just always been something that, for whatever reason, golfers just like to see that. Just it's more of a visual thing, but yeah, Callaway listened, and now you've got a raw version. Although, of course, I one of the first comments that I got on social today was. Why can't they just make a plated version of the wedge? <laughs> of course, yeah. just a you, plated you, version. You make you make a raw you make a raw face with a plated head, but everybody you know some people just want a plated wedge. They want the grooves to be plated as well. They don't want them to be raw. So you can't make everybody happy, but Callaway's certainly trying. I can think of the with the Titleist drivers. You know, people are always like, "Man, when are they going to bring back the like the shiny black finish, the shiny black finish, and the shiny black finish is back?" And goes, "Man, they look really good in gray or matte." And I'm like, "God, you make up your minds, make up your minds, yep. people." <laughs> you can never please everyone. No, you can't. Nope. No, that no matter how much you try. Finish, though. All right. Well, we have one mailbag question for this week that I thought was really interesting. For I'd love to get all your takes on this. So this is from Sean Metals on Instagram and he asks, 
I have an average driver swing speed between 104 miles an hour at 1900 RPMs and 110 miles an hour, 3500 RPMs on a flight scope Mevo. In the spring of 2020, I was professionally fit into my gamer driver, a 44 and a half inch, 10.5 degree tailor-made sim with a hazardous smoke 70S shaft. My problem is I cannot, I cannot generate more than about 155 mile an hour ball speed. Regardless, I'm always carrying the drives around 250 yards. Am I at my distance limit from a club fitting perspective is, or is there more there with another fitting? Well, he's, he's got, he's got a major issue. I mean, without knowing his attack angle, but he's got a major issue if on his high end, he's going from 1400 to whatever you said, 30, what 35. was this high end? 35. I mean, that's, that's something's flaring awfully, you know, badly for him. And, um, you know, my first impulse, like to hear your guys's take, he's just, he's got to strengthen his, uh, his loft because it's, it's, he's just got a driver that's too spinny. And to be honest, a 10.5 at those speeds, um, you know, just based on his delivery probably is too much loft to begin with. So I I, I would think at, at the very least, I don't know um, if that model's adjustable or not, but you want to turn it down and see if you lower that spin down, you know? I, I would say that though, uh, I get this question a lot when I do Q and A's on Instagram. And uh, the first thing I post is go to ping, type in ping, go to Google, go to the Google machine, type in ping driver optimization chart, and it will give you a ball speed spin and launch chart, which will show you like, the ideal optimization for your club at speed and ball speed, regardless of launch and spin, it's going to try and fit you into those windows. So look at that and you'll, you'll really get an idea of what it means to be optimized. A good rule of thumb. And I'll, I'll Chris, I'll let you take it after this. Cause I think, you know, I've always heard this. And I always think it's a good little, like, again, another little rule of thumb, whatever your club head speed is times it by 2.6 roughly. And that's going to be your potential driver distance. For some players, if you're like really dialing towards the end of the optimization chart, you get one like 2.7, 2.75. But uh, that that that's the thing to look at. So if you're not in that category, you're probably losing on some distance. No, that's 100% correct. I mean, if you there's a bunch of resources out there that you can kind of go and look towards if you don't have access to a to a fitting facility. I mean, uh, to your point. If you look at a hundred mile an hour club head speed, if you are somewhere close to zero with your angle of attack and you're striking it relatively solid, should produce 150 mile an hour ball speed and roughly a 250 yard carry. Now take into account a couple of other variables as far as strike location on the base and just dynamically the angles that you create, you could be in the overachiever category or underachiever category, but it's, there's definitely a lot of different variables that we don't know for this particular equation. And I always default to go get fit. If you can't get fit, like you had kind of alluded to check out ping, check out TrackMan, check out foresight. I mean, there's a ton of YouTube videos out there that can help you with you know, different resources for dialing in the driver. Yeah, you know, but I would say just a quick and easy fix is if he can strengthen the loft on that, you know, down to a nine um, and just see that because I've got to believe that's going to reduce that spin, especially especially on the high end. 
Agreed. I think golf ball's another one. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Maybe golf ball helps. Make a ball change. Not a bad idea. Gene did some ball testing recently. We've got some really interesting insights. RB, did you have a chance to go through that yet? I, I, I opened up the enormous spreadsheet that I got, and I went, I'm going to look at this later. <laughs> it's, it's a little daunting. There's a lot so, of information there. I spent an yeah. hour already. I told Gene I was going to spend an hour. I've spent an hour. I just just yeah, going through. You can you can go you can go way down the rabbit hole, but there's definitely some trends there that you can see that are interesting. For sure. And some and some and some surprises as well. Yeah, I would I would 100% agree with that. There were a couple of surprises, a few balls that I didn't expect to see in certain spots on the on the list, but I think it's a good place to wrap up this week's episode of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want more gear news, you can check us out on social media. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks to all for listening. We'll see you next week.